Welcome to the Essence of Black Belt Karate. I'm Sam Rideau, and also present is Jim Burton. We are the hosts for the new vodcast, video podcast, where we are going to be talking about the essence of Black Belt Karate. Tonight's episode is going to be very informal. We're going to speak about a variety of issues that will form the foundation of our vodcast episodes. The links to our vodcast and audio podcast will be available on the digital magazine website, and that is BB, capital letters, K Roddy, BB, capital K Roddy, K A R A T E dot com. You can look forward to talks about technique, your frame of mind, your presence in the dojo, and many other current topics related to the essence of black belt karate. So let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, so, Sam, the first topic definitely belongs to you. It is what is the essence of black belt karate? Well, there's a kind of a fairly complex answer to that because the essence of black belt karate right now is a digital magazine it's also this vodcast it's going to be a podcast um, and there's a bunch of interactive things on the magazine where um, the essence of black belt karate comes into play but it's really a, a sort of a a philosophy if you will where people that have been down the road of karate for a long period of time um, when they were learning, it was like walking into a black tunnel. You couldn't really see down the road what was coming at you. And what we would like to do is illuminate that path, that tunnel, by shining a light backwards on what some of the things that you know we've benefited from over the years. So if we can help somebody that's trying to gain black belt status by illuminating some of these little individual elements along the way, um, we're just trying to be very, very useful to do that. You know, Sam, there's one thing that I have to say. Between the two of us, we have about 100 years of martial arts experience. And I think we're pretty well versed in order to handle the things we have today. Now. There's a segment here that says the origins of karate. What are the origins of karate, Sam? Well, that question depends on how far back you want to go. Um, And most people start with Okinawa as where the word karate really sort of came from. Shirite, Nahate, you know, the cities in Okinawa, Te stands for hand, and this is the the hand techniques that were done in those cities, and eventually um, it became karate, the Chinese hand, or eventually empty hand. 
You know, there's one thing that you see in Okinawan styles. You see a lot of the Chinese influence that was taken by people who traveled to China from Okinawa and trained. And it kind of gives credibility to the vast experience you get when you're a karate stylist. Most people thought that karate began in Japan. And that was a misnomer. Uh, Japan got karate from Okinawa, but Okinawa clearly stands above everybody else when it comes to the development of karate. And you have to take your hats off to them because Japan and Okinawa for the longest of time didn't like each other. And Japan was invading Okinawa for lack of a better way to say it. And because of that, the Okinawans were forbidden to have any weapons. And one of the greatest things that happened because of that, not only did they develop their bodies as weapons, they took common ordinary elements that they use and turned them into lethal weapons. And that's for another show, but wow, what a great thing when we look at where karate comes from. Very, very interesting, Jim. When you look at the the history, especially from the, the regions of Okinawa, where specific karate styles developed out of those regions, and they're vastly different. Um, but yet, at the same time, a lot of those styles share katas. They've been uh, collaborating in over the years. And, and one of the things you have to give the Japanese um, they popularized it. Yes. Very, very much. So it probably wouldn't be as extensive around the world if Japanese hadn't taken and added their touch to it. I mean, this is what seems to happen as it progresses through the years. It changes, as it should. Yeah. Well, you know, looking back in time, you see that the spread of the martial arts comes from basically the origins. Now, the Japanese were the ones that popularized karate in the United States. And they did a good job of it along with the Koreans who made a big difference in the styles that were taught here. But when you get back to Okinawan karate, Okinawan karate came across where everybody else did. But the thing was, they were not out front leading and patting themselves on the back for what they did. Okinawan dojos were basically, you knew about it, you went. And if you didn't know about it, you couldn't find it. And that was good because they maintained a level of independence from other styles for the longest of times. And then the origins of Okinawa started coming out as Okinawan practitioners started competing in kata and kumite tournaments. And I, I think uh, it probably is useful to point out that the Okinawans are quite secretive about their karate in the early in the early years and and finally I think have recognized recently in recent years that there's benefit to uh, proliferating it around. The Okinawan, the Okinawan 
specialties, if you will? Well, you know, for people who have not been to Okinawa, who are training in karate, the one thing you see in Okinawa is that though there are different styles, the heads of those different styles have a union that's difficult for most people to understand. They get together with one another. The common kata like San Chin, that kata all the styles do. Well, before I left Okinawa, they had a meeting on San Chin kata and all of the major styles on Okinawa were there. And they made their inputs as to what was going on. And then they took away from it the changes that needed to be made and adapted it to their particular style of karate. And I think that is outstanding when you see people unify together to make just a little thing like, and believe it or not, they only changed one move in the whole kata but they did a great job. Very interesting to, to hear that about San Chin, Jim. It's always been one of my favorite katas. Um, but, you know, it does bring to mind uh, the changing of the, of the styles or the invention of a new style, which has happened over the years. There's kind of two extremes here where if... Uh, if the style is to be true to itself, it shouldn't change. And mm -hmm. only changes should be brought in at the highest level of instructors or, you know, the leaders of the style. Mm -hmm. But yet then there's other styles that, that come about. Um, like Funakoshi was the one that, you know, basically created Shotokan. And yes. you have uh, Bruce Lee uh, and even Ed Parker um, that you know, went their own way. So there's one extreme where the styles are staying totally rigid. Then there's the other extreme where you could even talk about the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, how radically affected that style is by modern day combat. Um, and, you know, what's your take on what's right and wrong, Jim, with the, the, the development of a new style? Well, blessed be known to everybody you cannot really have a new style you can have different adaptations of things from previously done styles but the fact of a new style it really doesn't exist but what has happened is people along the way have trained they've dedicated themselves to training in the dojo they finally get away from the dojo and there were things in that dojo that they did not like there were things in that dojo that didn't seem right with them so here they are out in the world they can open their own school and what they do in opening their own school is they get rid of those things that were problematic for them in the dojo they originally trained in so that you have an adaptation of a style now some people have done that and put a different name on it but the thing is if you look at the techniques done within the style there's nothing new a punch is a punch, a kick is a kick, a block is a block, a stance is a stance. Now, how wide a stance, how narrow a stance, that's 
pretty much stylistic. Uichiru used a very short stance. Shotokan uses a very long stance. But as you train in the system, the higher rank you achieve, the more you learn of the style and the closer your style comes to the other styles that are surrounding you. They all had the same basic origin. Now, just on a different topic, what do you think about the cultural differences between Asia and North America and how they play an important part into what happens in the dojo? You know, people who have not traveled to Asia do not understand that their lifestyle is totally different from ours. Okinawa's lifestyle is totally different from anybody else's I've ever seen. They're a people who work together, whether they like each other or not, and it's always working for the betterment of the family and the spread when it comes to karate of the styles. But you have to take into account the thought process which goes into the culture. When you look at karate, the biggest thing we need to be aware of is that here in the United States, North America, we're people that have been raised on a comp competitive level. You're either going to be first place, second place, or third place. You're going to be the best, the second best, or the third best. It's all about competition. Consequently, when you go to a martial arts dojo, you've got three people in there training. Each one wants to be the best. And sometimes that leads to keeping back a little bit of what you know so that other person doesn't get the advantage over you. Well, that's not the Okinawan method. In Okinawa, they pride themselves on people helping people. It's better for you that you know something and pass it on to somebody that doesn't than for you to keep it to yourself and use it only for yourself. So the philosophical side of martial arts there is very different. We have classes in the United States. Sensei stands in front of a group of students and counts cadence. Those students pick up from that. They learn from that. They work hard for that. Sensei goes around and makes what corrections he can or she can, and that starts the real development of a student. Whereas in Okinawa, it's not about big classes. It's not about Sensei Count and Cadence. It's about the individuals who are members of the dojo coming to the dojo and focusing their practices on those things that they're short in or need help with. Yes, they do have group classes and mainly group classes are for teaching a kata or showing a technique, blah, blah, blah. But the essence of what happens is that the individuals come when they can and leave when they have to. Dojo is open from 6 till 10 p.m. People come in and out between 6 and 10 p.m. Our dojos in this country, we have a specific time frame that people come to practice. White belts practice at 4 o'clock. Brown belts practice at 8 o'clock. It's not the case there. 
everybody is a member of the same dojo. There are no isolated classes for individuals. And the best thing that happens to a dojo is when <clears throat> a newcomer comes in because now everybody in the dojo has a responsibility to help that newcomer. What a wonderful way of looking at it, really. Um, and I, I think some of the cultural differences come from, you know, in North America, we're, we're pretty much conditioned to, to, to ask, what's in it for me? And, and why does somebody, you know, go into a dojo? Um, usually the reasons are, um, I want to, I've been bullied, I don't want to be bullied anymore, or self-defense or whatever. Um, but those students that stick around for extended periods of time, mm -hmm. um, you're going to see those students exhibit more of the philosophy that you're talking about of helping others. Because the nature of karate is that it can't be done alone. Well, I, I guess you can do kata alone for sure, but but I mean, you, to, to truly learn karate, you have to have partners. And those partnerships are non-competitive. And this is where, you know, the culture of bowing comes in and the respect for the dojo. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But um, the, the cultural differences, you know, you see the Japanese way versus the Okinawan way and the North American way versus the Japanese way. Um, so we're conditioned, you know, we yes. go to a, go to a, uh, a, a Pilates class, you go to a karate class, you go to a Taekwondo class, you go to a class. That's what you do in North America. And in Okinawa, you go to train in a dojo. I love that. Big difference. Love you don't that. go to class, you go to train. And you know, Sam, one of the things that strikes me, <clears throat> excuse me, when we enter the dojo, it really doesn't matter what the reason is that we came across that threshold. We are going to be instructed in the way of the martial arts in order to be an active participant in the dojo. Now, there are different outlooks and outcomes from different dojos, but the dojo has its own personality. It has its own set of rules. It has its own meanings to do things. And once you enter a dojo it doesn't matter what your reason for coming was whether you got beat up in school and you want to go learn how to fight the person that did it whether you're being teased and you want to have the energy to look back whether you're full of energy and don't know what to do with it or mommy and daddy say hey you're going to take karate it doesn't matter what gets you to the dojo what matters is what you do once you get to the dojo and that is to develop yourself as to the best person you can be and to learn things like humility, understanding, interaction between people. Karate is not just block, kick, punch, and strike. As a matter of fact, I'll go on record as saying the blocking, the kicking, the punching, the striking 
is less than 40% of what you do. Mainly it's training your mind, your body, and your spirit. And martial artists who do not get that, and there are some out there, they're lost about the time they get to black belt because everything's done for them. There's no place else to go. And that's a difficult thing to see. And and I've heard a lot of senseis say, we don't train people how to fight. We train them how to not fight. Yes. How to avoid a fight. But prepare them in the, in the you know, instance that it's required. But um, one of the things about the reasons people come into a dojo that intrigues me is, is those students that that quit after they achieve a black belt. Um, and to me, I mean, it, it, it's obviously it's obvious why they had a goal of becoming a black belt. And once they met their goal, then they achieved their purpose and and they're done. Mm-hmm. But I have an awful lot more respect for those people that 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 look at what they've learned and say, okay, now it's my turn to give back. I didn't just come here, you know, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? I got what I wanted for me and I'm qu- I'm quitting now because I got what I wanted. It's people are generous in their contributions with helping me. And I've achieved a black belt, but I didn't achieve it alone. I had a lot, a lot, a lot of input from other people. And it's probably more of an Oriental attitude than a North American attitude, but to have the attitude of we're all in this together, we're together in what we're doing, and everybody helps everybody else. It's a much more mature way of looking at it. What do you think about about that, Jim? Well, you know, Sam, there, there is a big thing that comes to play. And that is the difference in the mindset of the students that are training. Traditionally in the United States, when karate made its entrance into the world, the dojos that were traditional stayed behind the curtain. And the dojos that were more modernistic came out front. And the reason for that is simple. People are going to track to what they think is right for them. And the modernization of karate is much better for some people than the ancient ways of training. Now that we get to that, we've seen a development in the martial arts that I don't know anybody thought would happen. But there are exactly two tracks of martial artists. There's sport karate and there's traditional karate. And it used to be traditionalists would try to engage in the sport realm, going to tournaments and whatnot. Well, what happened is that at those tournaments, traditional technique was allowed and those who trained traditionally were able to accept it and counter it if necessary. But the vast majority of people that were coming to the tournaments had been trained in a different method and were not used to groin attacks, sweeps, back fists coming from a spin. And 
the rules had to be adjusted so that people were comfortable competing. And with the adjustment of rules for tournaments came the separation of karate when it comes to learning. You're learning sport, you're learning traditional. There are schools that teach both. They teach both the traditional way and the sport way. There are schools that only teach one, sport or traditional. But no matter where you go, it's up to the individual, not the sensei, the individual himself or herself to make things work. And that's what karate is all about. Individuals making it work for themselves. You know, you're talking about tournaments, and I, I find it fascinating that um, many styles have closed tournaments just for their style. Now, yes. like with Kyokushin, that makes a lot of sense because they're full contact, and you know, they 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 don't fight by the same rules that everybody else does for tournament play. Um, and you, you also, obviously, the Taekwondo people. You know, they have their own rules for the what they do. But you, you also see Shotokan tournaments yes. and other karate tournaments where they're just our style is the only one in that tournament. Yes. So I find that fascinating that, that uh, you know, it's kind of developed that way over the years. You know, now I come from a long, long, long ago when it was primarily open tournaments. You had Kung Fu mm -hmm. and... Taekwondo, Hapkido, Karate, you know, everybody competed at the same tournament. Now, the, the benefits of that were we made a lot of good friendships and, and connections with people from the martial arts. It was wonderful. Loved it. On the downside, it's really hard to establish a decent set of rules when you have, you know, a Kung Fu person fighting against uh, a Karate person. It's very difficult to establish a a set of rules for that. Well, you know, Sam, one, one of the things in establishing rules is getting those who are going to officiate the event to understand and work within the rules. And that can be very difficult. One of the be best examples is a tournament where you have basically three different schools of martial arts and the three schools are similar only in that they're hard style other than that they're they're not similar but now when it comes to kata each school calls kata one by the name their school learned it but it's all the same kata that they're doing only adapted to their particular style and what was happening at tournaments is you get somebody to train Shotokan in Tennessee and they're judging a tournament in Texas and the Texas person trains Shotokan in New Mexico the kata they do looks different but they're the same they have the same name, they have the same direction, they have the same outcome, but the techniques that are contained within it have been adjusted and adapted to fit other people, so to speak. And you had a lot of officials who went into the ranks expecting 
everything that happened to look like they do it in their dojo. And there were a lot of really good competitors that didn't score because the officials didn't understand what they were doing because it was different than the way they did it. And that, uh, you know, makes me think about going back to styles. If you talk to some people, they're, they're going to tell you that there really are no styles. And what, and what they mean by that, they, of course there are styles, but um, as you get farther and farther and farther down that road, second, third, fourth degree black belt, fifth degree black belt, those people at the higher echelons are almost always working on very similar things, even though they've got there through different styles. So the styles, I've heard it described from by some people as cultures. You know, mm -hmm. if you're in the Goju culture or the Goju style, you you know, you have one path to get to a certain level of ability where, you know, somebody from even Taekwondo could travel to a very similar level, but doing it through Taekwondo or through Shotokan or through Wichiru. Um, so this concept of no styles is a very high level thought process. It is a very high-level thought process, and the essence of it is this. It all comes from the same root. Everything in the martial arts comes from the same plant, and it grows and it grows, and just like a tree, you get a branch like this, a branch like that, blah, 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 blah. But when you get back to it, it all comes from the same tree. And that's true about martial arts. The beginnings are wonderfully tied together. And people want to lay claim to the fact that what they do is the best, or what they do is the real thing, or what they do is honestly what it's all about. Well, in most instances, they're fooling themselves because they haven't been at it long enough to understand where it all comes together. In many styles, you work and 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 you get to the point of Shodan, which actually means you understand and can do the basics. That, that That's about all it does. It doesn't mean you're a super karate practitioner. But you make it to Shodan and that's when the real learning begins. That's when the essence of karate formulates. That's when your mind understands its role in your development. That's when your spirit understands its role in your development. That's when your body understands its role in your development. And better than that is when you understand your role in helping others develop. I, I couldn't think of a better transition, Jim, into the concept of basics, because, I mean, you just described completely uh, the mental side of what happens when a person is a black belt. But for those white belts looking forward to, to sort of see what what's going to happen next, they're looking into that black tunnel. And this is where the essence of black belt karate can help. We can talk about basics. And what's going yes. to happen for you as a white belt as you progress through your training to get to be a black belt, even though 
when you're standing in the dojo doing that punch, so is the black belt doing the exact same punch. Just yes. the way that he or she is doing it is radically different. Yes. They do the same kata. You can do the same katas with the black belts. And if you watch, if you if you sat on the sideline and watched, you're going to see a, a monstrous difference between what the white belt does in the kata and what the black belt does in the exact same kata. All the moves are exactly the same. So what is the difference? How, what is the light that we can shine on that concept of basic techniques how is it going to to progress you know how do you progress from a white belt to a black belt over a period of years well let's start out with the very basic you walk into the dojo and you are totally unprepared for what you're going to face you think you know what it's about but you don't. And once you get inside, the first thing you do is learn the rules of respect for the dojo. It's not a playground. It's not a gymnasium. It's not a, a place to come and have oodles of fun. It's a place to come learn, train, and improve. But you don't improve just in technique. Your physical self starts improving. Your mental status starts improving. Your understanding of what's right and what's wrong starts vastly improving. And your ability to detect things in other people is what gives you the edge as a martial artist. So as you're going through doing your basics, you cannot do technique without a partner. It's impossible. You can do kata without a partner because kata is a learning thing, but kata is no good to you unless there are watchful eyes watching you because if you make a mistake, you made it. You don't know you made it. Somebody has to tell you you made it. Elsewise, you're going to keep doing the same thing thinking it's right. So it's an interactive thing that we go through. When you get to the basics, the first basic you learn is respect and I mean I, I don't know any other way to put it when you enter the dojo from the outside you should free yourself from all outside influences and prepare yourself to engage in learning martial arts when you leave the dressing room to go out onto the dojo floor, you pause before you enter the floor and you bow. And that's a very important bow to do. That bow sets the tone for everything you're going to do. You get yourself in a good frame of mind. You remember that you're there to help people out. You know the sensei is there to help develop you. You understand that People are not here to joke around. You understand your responsibility to the people you work with, not to be flashy or selfish, but to be true and punctual with what you do. And once you do that, you walk out onto the floor and everybody else out there has done the same thing. So you're all on the same page when you begin your training. Now, 
each individual is going to train at a different level. You can have two people that start the same day and one is more athletic than the other. Well, guess what? The athletic one is going to learn faster than the one that's not athletic. But where they catch up to each other is that when they get beyond the physical into the mental and spiritual stuff. That, that's where the knot is tied together and you find out, wow. And we've done a lot of talking, Sam, about basics. One thing that happens that I love is that white belt class, brown belt class, red belt class, black belt class, it all begins with the basics. And once you warm up, go ahead. You you can't overemphasize the basics. And, you know, to maybe shine uh, one little flashlight on that for people uh, to try to illuminate it. If you want to compare a white belt to a black belt, that white belt's going to hit you with his arm. The black belt's going to hit you with his mind, body, and spirit. That's right. Rolled into one. And to learn how to do that takes several years. But that's what you want to be working on as you're going through the process. Looking at the basics, you have to bring together everything from your stance, your legs, your abdomen, your upper body, your arms, and your breathing. It's all coordinated at the same time when when you execute a technique. So very important to start working on that and looking at, you know, how you can mimic and uh, learn from the higher ranking students. And um, that's a critical aspect of it, working with somebody else. You know, Sam, while I was in Okinawa, I trained at one of the most prestigious Gojiru dojos on the island. And we were fortunate enough to have some members of our dojo who were outstanding in certain phases. I was a person coming up in the martial arts that featured stance as being very important. But I didn't understand how important it was until I watched a gentleman named Kami Morrison. And the first time I saw him do the stance San Chin, I was mesmerized. He was on a wooden floor. The planks reacted to his tightening his body. And when he moved, he left his footprints in the floor. That is some dedication and some concentration. If you tried to budge him when he sat in the San Chin, you might as well get two cups of coffee and call in a bulldozer because you weren't <laughs> going to do it. He yeah. mastered stances. Consequently, the technique he delivered from those stances were so powerful that you didn't want him to hit you, even if he was playing it hurt. And that's the type of attitude that beyond showdown comes into being. Up through showdown, you're scratching the surface. Well, the you other learn... side... I'm sorry, Jim. Go ahead. 
Well, the, the other side of that is that doing the basics is a repetition that never ends and it goes on and on and if you compare what other sports say about something they they usually say that you have to repeat something 10,000 times before you master it yep. and I, i'm not talking about karate i'm talking about other sports this is what's yep. widely recognized you know so if you apply that to karate that means you you're going to have to do that upper area block 10,000 times before you yep. can probably think that you're getting it correct so yep. this is the kind of dedication that you you have to look forward to um and once you start you know i can tell tell you this from experience you know trying to learn a particular technique and doing it over and over and over again and over and over and over again and then all of a sudden you get one and it just feels just perfect yes yes and you get that one technique and you get it slipped in there and it's like oh my god that's how that's supposed to work and then you try and try and try and you get a few more and a few more and then eventually you can do them all that way but yes that takes the dedication to train and train and train that and people will tell you over and over again i've heard people say the secret of karate you want to hear the secret of karate i'll tell you the secret of karate it's training train 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 you know people don't understand the shortcuts that have been provided for some training events like strengthening the hands there are a lot of pieces of equipment that are specifically designed to increase your hand strength to increase your arm strength to increase your shoulder strength to increase your waist strength to increase your strength and flexibility as opposed to allowing the technique to do it which is perfectly all right but with the technique alone it's going to take a lot longer to develop the muscle reactions that you do when you can use these training aids and it it really got me to see how many dojos in north america did not have training aids and what i found is that a lot of the students had gym memberships and they were going to the gym to do that and what not which is good but the training aids need to be available when you're in the dojo training and i i i thank god that the okinawan dojos they made their own so they always were available to train with and i just want to intercede here like the last time you were in okinawa gym what was it for 5 years yes um so uh it were very privileged to have jim's okinawa knowledge um from his training over there and uh i certainly appreciate it every day when um when it comes to learning the basics um we can do it the Okinawan way or you can do it the Japanese way or you can do it the North American way but the ultimate goal is to train and train and train until those basics work for you yes that's one of the other sort of secrets of karate you have to take each technique and you've got to say okay well this block isn't really working because i keep getting hit um 
how can I make this block work for me? And that maybe is a good segue into um, our next topic, which is upper area blocks. Just to, to shine a spotlight on just one particular technique, we thought that this would be a good one to start with. Nobody likes getting hit in the face. Absolutely not. So the when, the where, and the why, um, that applies to any technique, by the way. But um, you you have to be cognizant of, of those elements of, of throwing a, a technique or a block. Yes. You know, we develop certain things in our anatomy. We develop controls over muscles and tendons and all that stuff. But the end result is that we take something that's in one place and move it to another place. Now, when that has purpose and that purpose is to defend yourself, it's a block. When it has purpose and that purpose is to deter somebody from messing with you, it's a strike. In either case, there are mechanics to the technique, but more important than mechanics, there are uses of the technique. The mechanics of the technique, anybody can do. And what happens with the mechanics is that often a lot of things fall by the wayside. You know what I mean, sir? I do. I do. And uh, I like the uh, example of an upper area block specifically because um, it to do it correctly, you have to work with a partner. And notice I yes. said partner, not opponent. The, the strategy when you're trying to learn an upper area block is to have somebody punch at you and not over your head where the block is going to end up. We see so many people do this in so many dojos. Yes. Um, it's it's really unfortunate. Now, what's supposed to happen is the person that you're working with, you know, let's say you're a white belt and you're working with a black belt. Well, that black belt's not there to punch you in the face. That black belt's there to help give you a technique to practice your block. So that's, if the person was trying to punch you in the face, that person would be an opponent. But where mm -hmm. the person that you're working with is a partner, and that's why the, the bow is so important when you're working with the partner, that level of respect is like, I'm not here to hurt you. I hope you're not here to hurt me. And if the, either one of us slips, it's going to be an accident and it's not intentional. So there's no need to, for anybody to get riled up about it. Um, yes. But when you're working the technique, if you're the one that's blocking, the person is supposed to be punching at you and at maybe just a little bit more than you have the ability to deal with. So they're testing you to try to create a better and better block. This can be a little bit frustrating, but the end result is you have practiced executing a proper block for an upper area punch. And if you don't have the person that you're working with, like if they're punching over your head, because that's where your block is ending up, mm -hmm. 
um, you've got to be diligent with them and try to just sort of remind them, like, listen, I, I, I really want you to punch at my nose or my chin, whatever the target area is. Please punch, you know, d- don't be rude, but, but, you know, kindly let them know you need their help to practice your block and the vice, vice versa applies when you're the one that's punching please don't punch over their head you're you're not giving that person the opportunity to practice their block with you know full concentration and they they're never going to really know if their block works if they're all they're doing is blocking punches that are already aimed at the wrong place you know that leads to one thing that's very important you cannot learn a technique doing it fast when someone does it the right way and strikes you the right way and your block comes out and it doesn't work you get frustrated i practiced this for a year and it's not working but what you did is practice the motion you did not practice a block a block is very personal It is what prevents you from getting harmed by someone else. So you need to put your energy and effort into it. I can do something fast, 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 fast. It feels good. You don't understand they're punching higher than they should or they're punching with less strength than they should and whatnot. And you feel good about what you're doing for a block. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes up and delivers a proper punch and your face is sitting right in the front of it and you look at them and go well uh, 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 the reason that you couldn't stop it is because you never worked on stopping the reality you worked on stopping some pseudo angle slow technique developing good technique is the key you don't start off flying a jet airplane first thing you do is you learn how it's to be flown the same is true in karate technique you don't start off being the world's best blocker you start off learning how the block is done and one thing i I so remember i was visiting a dojo a friend of mine had and It was a nice dojo, I mean, very well kept, nice training and whatnot. And they had a student come in that had trained in another school and didn't like that school, so they were coming over to train with him. And they got out and they were doing Kion. And looking at them doing that basic exercise, you could see the differences in thought patterns when it came to some of the techniques they were doing. But later on, they were paired off so that blockers could learn more better blocks and strikers could learn better strikes. And this one kid, every time he got punched, he couldn't move the block. The block just stayed right there. And then, He got smart. He said, well, I got to get it up on an angle above my head. So instead of 
crossing going up by the shoulder and raising it up he went around his ear and placed it up top that way yeah. that, that's a great right block <laughs> but you know what you just helped the guy hit you <laughs> I mean, the things you see in martial arts and the things you don't see well one of the thing oh sorry Jim, go ahead one of the things you don't see is all of the work it takes for two people to work together it's not easy yeah i was just going to reinforce that that that, that you know um you're not competing with the person that you're working with and not in the least you're trying again this is that that's going back to what we talked about earlier the cultural difference in north america if you're competitive and extremely competitive and you're going to try to beat the other guy's block and 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 really for the benefit of everybody in the dojo you should be working as a partner not an opponent yes um and that gives me a great segue into the next section talking about sensei's role when you have uh a lot of students in your dojo that are punching over the head of their partners it's it's time to bring the class to a halt and 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 illuminate that for them yes so that they understand and can can correctly apply that technique so and you see that in in so many places where whether it's a kick or a middle area punch um for some reason the lower ranking students are pre-programming themselves to punch to where the block ends up or to yep. kick to where the block ends up um taking the onus off of the person to actually execute the technique the blocking technique so that's it uh again can't emphasize enough the idea of of uh, working together as partners when you're learning you know these these techniques you know when you work with a partner it's not just one person learning both partners are learning now in the case of a black belt working with a white belt people would say well the black belt's not learning nothing the white belt is getting the advantage no that's not true first of all if it is to be messed up and take a different direction than it is intended that's going to come from the white belt that's true you say all right the punch comes here so deliver the punch that punch might hit you in the stomach and is supposed to be aimed at your chin and you have to be prepared to stop it no matter where it goes elsewise <laughs> you're in trouble and on the converse to that the white belt needs firm treatment the white belt needs to know not what the block is but how the block is done and the difference between a good block and a bad block with a good block you don't get hit that's the difference upper area blocks 
The rising block is one of the most common blocks in martial arts. Generally, it's the first one you learn. And they teach you to cover your face from chin to the top of your head. That's where the punches are going to come to your upper area. But if you do not make the full spectrum of the block, you're in trouble. The same way if your blocking arm is parallel to the floor, you're not blocking. At least not blocking somebody that's got a strong punch because that's the weakest part of your rising. The more angular your arm is, the stronger your block's going to be or the more effective your block is going to be. And virtually, when you block, you get a sense of satisfaction beyond just about anything else. It's like, I did that. And you keep trying to duplicate what you did. Sam, you brought that point up earlier. And then finally, you get to that point in your training where that block works more than it doesn't. And you can be happy about that. But it doesn't come about without working together with your dojo mates. Now, I'd like to take a moment and just talk about the going back to the concept of the dark tunnel and illuminating the light, uh, shining a light uh, backwards so that the newer students can come along. And then maybe just one example of that is the example that we gave for the upper area block. If you as a white belt can look at what we've said or listen to what we've said today and change what you're doing, you've already taken a, a step, a bigger step towards that black belt goal. Yes. Because those are the kinds of things that, that we want to be able to continue to bring to you um, with the essence of black belt karate through the digital magazine, through the podcast, through the vodcast. These are, this is our goal is to try to generate content based on our experiences in the martial arts world with over a hundred years combined experience between the two of us. Um, something you'd like to add to that, Jim? Yes, I, I think the greatest thing is that when we look back, we see our progress. When we look back, we see our development. When we look back, we see the foundation for our future. And where we are at that instance we're looking back is the beginning of a new future. It's where everything takes a new step. We make what we have better, whether we make it faster, stronger, more direct, whatever it is, we're always improving on what we're doing. And the important thing that happens is a lot of people look back and they see that light that's illuminated behind them. And they look at it as a bad thing. Man, look at that crap I had to do. Look at it. No, be proud of it. Look at what I went through. Look at what I accomplished. Look at how I got to where I am now. Wow. And share it. Share it. Yes. Yes. Very good point. 
People come into a dojo and they'll see Johnny B. Good standing there on the floor doing high kicks, doing triple somersaults, et cetera, and so on and so forth. And they think that that's what they are supposed to do. Well, if that's in the style, yes, that's what you're supposed to do. But you don't start off doing that. You have to build up to it. There are prerequisites that go to building the ability to jump and spin around in the air. And the one thing about Chillard spinning is it's got to be done with control. It's like I tell people, you leave your feet in front of me and try to kick, how are you going to get back to the ground? That's my question. Because I'm going to take that kicking foot and I'm going to throw you wherever I want to throw you. And it all begins with the block. The block. And one of the things I'll say is the best block against the kick is not to be within the range of the foot. And if you're not within the range of the foot, they can't kick you, but you can get to that leg. So enough hints given there. I'm at, I better stop. I'm gonna start talking my strategies. <laughs> well, um, I think we come to that time in the show. Uh, this is our inaugural show. This is episode 001. Um, we're very pleased to be here, and we want to thank all of you. And uh, I'd like to point you to the essence of Black Belt Karate Digital Magazine. It's updated weekly, not monthly. Visit us at bbkarate.com for links to the vodcast and the podcast. And Or you can go to youtube.com slash at bb karate or search youtube bb karate and then click on the essence of black belt karate to find us on youtube the vodcasts are going to be posted on youtube but the links will be there on the magazine page and be sure to invite your friends to share your experience we'd love to have more uh, followers and uh, don't forget to sign up for the free weekly newsletter You're going to love it. We hope to see you here at the same time next week. Bye. Bye.